1: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE.
2: Football Social Daily. Premier League preview.
1: Hello and welcome to the Football Social Daily, the only daily Premier League podcast out there. And this week... We're going to take a step back from the Premier League for a little bit and just look at some of the international action that is happening. Although, don't worry, uh, we're going to get back in pretty quickly and look at some of the other Premier League stories that have come out today. And helping me do that, I have a couple of very knowledgeable and very talented men with me today. I have uh, Mark Critchley from The Independent. Good evening. And I also have Sam Lee from The Athletic. Good evening. And I have Fergal Brennan, the sports social journalist. Hello, and also a big Swiss football fan as well. Yeah, huge. Yes, huge. yes, massively. Uh, so let's start with international football, then, shall we? And of course, uh, we're almost towards the end of the Euro qualifying period. Um, after this, um, a, a lot of teams will already be through, already be qualified. Uh, we're going to get onto that in a minute because I've got a question about the Nations League, but. So many games happening at this, I, I struggle to keep up with it all. So let's just focus on a couple of games. And I'd like to look at two of the home nations that there's question mark's over at the minute. Wales and Ireland. So where should
3: we start? Well, you're looking me dead in the eye, so there's got to be only one place to start. And that's Ireland. Um, two biggest games since Mick McCarthy's come back in to uh, to retake charge of Ireland. Uh, unbeaten so far, heading into the last three qualifiers for, for anyone that, you know, doesn't put themselves through the kind of mind-numbing fear and boredom of of watching Ireland on a regular basis. Um, But this is absolutely massive for them. Georgia away and then Switzerland away. Two huge games. However, we come out of this uh, in the next few days, we'll decide whether or not Ireland are going to be going on holiday next summer or going to the European Championships. It's it's absolutely massive.
1: Which means a lot of fans get to go on holiday. And let's be honest, everybody loves to see the Irish fans at a tournament.
3: Yeah, and that's that's another reason why I think a lot of neutrals will be looking at this and, and willing Island. I hope so anyway, willing Island on in these two games. Um, nobody kind of kids themselves and expects it to be absolute classics. I think that's been seen since McCarthy's come back in. But what Ireland do now have is a system. They've got a way of playing. They're very difficult to play against. As I said, they're unbeaten. They are... St- slowly getting more Premier League names back in. We were chatting about this before we started recording. Uh, I think everyone was a bit more impressed with the amount of Premier League players they had than than maybe they might have had 18 months ago. Um, But it's such a difficult situation that they find themselves in because it's two games away from home against two nations that are still vying to qualify themselves. So everything is to play for and I am absolutely dreading it.
1: Now, is is the change at the minute, like you've just said, Mick McCarthy coming back in, it seems to be that Ireland are back in a place they've not been in since Mick McCarthy was there before. Because in the last 15 years, arguably through luck, it's not gone very well for them. So is it is it something to do with Mick McCarthy or is it the players that have come through? Because if we're honest, like recently the headlines about Ireland and footballers, we've had the likes of Jack Grealish, Declan Rice, who declaring was it Declan Rice was Ireland's Young Player of the Year yep. and that news broke the day that he decided no I'm going to go and play for England yeah. is it is it down to Mick McCarthy coming back or is it down to the players that are available for them
3: a uh, combination of the two, um, nobody kind of looks at the side and, and sees them having the same excitement or the same individuals as 2002, but what McCarthy has done is he's brought players in that Martin O'Neill wasn't playing towards the end of his tenure, and he, and he's re-injected a lot of confidence. Uh, he's brought David McGoldrick back in, who's obviously now playing Premier League football with Sheffield United. Quite a few Sheffield United names now in. John Egan is likely to start a centre-back, and the Stevens at left-back. Um, and he is, he's brought players in that Martin O'Neill either refused to pick or declined to pick. There was an interview with Doty last week where he said that after he criticised O'Neill after he left, he got a phone call with more than one tasty, tasty insult from Mr O'Neill for for Dutty's comments. So I think we're seeing McCarthy's. He's very much a, a manager that players like playing for, and he and he's very good at squeezing that that last drop out of them. Which for a team like Ireland, they need every drop and every every inch they can get. It surprises me
1: that it was O'Neill that called him because I always thought Keane was the enforcer, I would, and that would have scared me the most if I if I if I left. I imagined it would be Keane would do the uh, would make that call. But
3: Keane always takes pride in not having anyone's number, Like And that right. still amazes me. Really? Yeah, when we was at United, he said he had no didn't have any of the the, the team's phone numbers, and I think that's still the case now. There's, he he there's has a, no interest.
0: There's a good story about that where Gary Neville gets a new phone and. He texts Roy Keane saying, hi, this is Gary Neville on my new number. And Keane replies, so what? Yeah, yeah, I think you just you just get rid of your own fella. How do you come back from
3: that? How do you, how do you come back from that?
1: Yeah, th- I, to be honest, I, I, like Roy Keane, I've never met the man and he terrifies me. And so I, the last thing I would want is Roy Keane having my number. <laughs> let's, let's, let's just be just in case I ever did anything to upset the man. So that's
3: Ireland. Uh, let's have a look at Wales. Who was that? A good result for them last night? That draw, I think it was. When you look at the situation that they're in, they're still scrapping around trying to trying to get qualification. I think it's a situation whereby everyone's still living on on Euro twenty sixteen when it comes to Wales in terms of getting all the way to the semi final, and then you know, I think I think they did incredibly well to get there, and then to fall short was was probably a little bit of rough justice on them considering the performances they've put in. But time's running out for Gigs and them. They've only got three games left now and they've got a, a bit of a way to go. Three points behind Slovakia, who they, they drew with. They do have a game in hand and they do have some home games, but they do still have to play, uh, play Croatia ne- later next week and that'll be do or die for them. I think they, they need to get at least a draw from Croatia, which, as any England fan will tell you, based on last se- uh, 2018, that's no easy, no easy task. Should
0: we be expecting more from Wales, do you think, given that they were so impressive in 2016? Or is this actually them kind of returning to a, a, a level that we kind of expect?
3: Yeah, I think they are. I think, as you say, Euro 2016, they, they performed above themselves. And, mm-hmm. it, you know, it was nice to see there's always there's always a lot of goodwill for, for sides punching above their weight in an international tournament. But when you look at that side outside of Ramsey and Bale, there's a lot of ordinary players in terms of the level that they're playing but, at. They're, they're able to drag them a bit higher, but... The rest of the side, there's very little excitement there.
1: I think the thing is that we've we've seen, though, especially in the last two major international tournaments, is it's been more about the teams that have come with teams rather than superstars, that they've really bonded, that they've come together. We certainly saw that with, with the likes of Croatia uh, in the World Cup. Uh, and another performance that we've seen, and I think Wales sort of championed that as well. And and I think when we're moving towards it now, are, are we moving away from an era of, of
0: superstars? I think that's... Yeah, potentially, I think so. I think football nowadays, certainly... Um, go back and watch an episode of Premier League years, right, and, and watch the highlights on it, and what you'll find is that a lot of it is like shots from like 35 yards that go in the back of the net and everyone goes really right screaming. Football doesn't really look like that anymore. It's much more of a system game. Uh, you think about the top managers in the world now, like Klopp, Guardiola, they all have certain principles that they follow, and these are instilled within a whole team. And I think now... You know, if, if, if a team loses a star player, um, it's sometimes not as much of a blow as it could be in the past. So, yeah, certainly I think we're moving more towards that. And you do see that, like you say, with these lesser nations, if you like, doing well at international tournaments. I think in terms of the World Cup, it was more of a, a European thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, not just because, obviously, European
2: teams got to the last four of the World Cup, but I remember looking at a lot of the fallout in South America and they were talking about look, we we've seen now how our game has fallen behind mm. the European way. You know these teams are tactically organized. You know that France team could have been something special, but it wasn't actually special, was it? Mm. They just had they were very solid.
1: It was like a bat- good a-gram. set
2: pieces yeah. and just tactically set up well. And that was that was enough to beat teams from Africa, South America, Asia, and that's why they dominated. And then yeah, when it comes to the actual European Championship, obviously everyone's European. But then yeah, you see the teams that are probably. A bit more organised than the others. That's yeah. That's just that's just how it goes. You and Wales, like, that summer, were there, and obviously like with Iceland as well. You, you can see when it happens. There's a bit of a fusion of mm. that system, but also you know the fans get behind it, and something special can happen, can't it, to an extent.
0: Yeah, I think you have now in international football. We saw it at the World Cup. You have these Western European nations: France, Spain, Germany, England. Even England now are in the conversation where they have just so much resources and, and this kind of youth development programs that bring through all this talent you look at all the french players that are found around you know the the bonniers of paris there's so much talent coming through there that certain nations if they don't have the resources or they don't have the infrastructure in place to to basically replicate that they start to fall behind and i think that's what we're seeing yeah
1: so obviously you're talking about the the winners of the World Cup there in France, and the winners of the last international tournament, really, in terms of a European basis, was Portugal winning the Nations League. Now, this is something that I'm still unclear about, which is why I'm really glad that Fergal's here. So can you <laughs> now explain to us, maybe you can't, and that would actually make me feel better in so many ways. <laughs> could could you explain to us, and and, and I'm sure that we're going to have a lot of questions here as well, um, how this actually works. <clears throat> so that they obviously England had the chance of, of winning it as well. Portugal did. Does that mean Portugal have automatically qualified? Does that mean they get a better seeding? What happens?
3: Uh, no, it doesn't automatically qualify them for the for the European Championships next summer. Essentially, the in a nutshell, the theory behind the Nations League in terms of European Championship qualifying is that it gives lesser sides, lower-ranked sides, a backdoor route into the main tournament itself. So the way it works is um, there's four mini-leagues of four, so 16 mini-leagues, uh, if you will, the 16 winners of those leagues are guaranteed at least a playoff place for Euro 2020. The majority of those those 16 sides will qualify automatically in the top two of their group for European Championship qualification. Mm-hmm. I'm just looking here at the numbers currently as it stands, where we've got about 12 or 13 sides, give or take how this weekend goes. So that opens up four, three, four sides that are not going to finish in the top two, but will be rewarded for their uh, Nations League performances. a spot in a potential playoff place so that is essentially how it works
1: and these Nations League games were not part of the qualifiers they were effectively what used to be friendlies which were then turned into qualifiers for Nations League
3: essentially yeah it's it's part of UEFA's bigger plan to eradicate friendlies from international football to bring in these kind of semi-friendly games that don't mean a huge amount but do mean something further down the line so as I say that's that's the theory behind it you know we could could almost fill an entire podcast about whether it will work whether it won't work whether it does work probably semi most of us to sleep, but that's that's well, the theory behind it. The thing is,
1: when 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 you explain it and you break it down like that, it, I don't get it still. But I have to say, the actual Nations League tournament was really exciting.
0: I agree. Yeah, I think um, it, it certainly brought a lot of life into these international breaks, which in the past we've we've all been kind of on a downer about. But um, yeah, I, I think that we, as we saw with England as well, it kind of maintained that energy that was kept during the World Cup. So Gareth Southgate side he carried on bringing through young players. Uh, that whole momentum that was built carried on. And yeah, I, I really enjoyed it as a tournament, actually.
2: Yeah, it was good, like Germany and Holland playing each other every week. And obviously mm. they ended up getting <laughs> quite, um, drawn in the same qualification group anyway. So that's always good. And yeah, like, France were in that group as well. And the England-Spain game was good. Croatia became a bit of a good match because of the World Cup. And yeah, I, I mean, look, I couldn't tell you how it went in the third or fourth tiers when like, Moldova were playing Georgia. Yeah.
0: But, but I think even even though we <laughs> even though we weren't that interested top. in those, it actually gave those teams... You know, a competitive game, didn't you? Yeah, they? instead of getting battered, and also exactly,
2: yeah, it's a competitive game, and there's interest in those countries. Then it's like, oh, this is a game we could win. And, mm. you know, they, there's something to aim for. How how tangible it is of them winning the fourth tier, for argument's sake. Well, we'll we'll see in the course of time. But at the time, you know, you could see why they wanted to do it.
1: Do you think it's as simple as it was just within a smaller time frame? And obviously, the qualification period for the World Cup for the Euros is so long. And the, the actual Nations League was actually almost like the group stages of a major tournament.
0: Yeah, I think it was weird, actually. I remember after some of the England games last year, Gareth Southgate started talking about how England had had a good season. And you'd never you'd never hear an international manager talking about seasons before. But that that kind of concept came into play because you had this tournament that was, like you say, very short, self-contained within a little, you know, but basically a season. and And it allowed, you know, that kind of... It just reinforces the idea that there's something on the line and there's something up for grabs here, and it's in our immediate reach. So, so yeah, there was that. That was definitely an element of it too.
1: Okay, but honestly, do you understand all that stuff that Fergal said? <laughs> no, not really. We don't, <laughs> we don't need to. It's
0: kind of numberwang, isn't it? I don't know.
1: <laughs> And and to be fair to Vogel, he he was like reading it off off of the internet, of the official <laughs> FIFA website, and still he was going, Oh, I'm not sure what I'm doing. Uh so we've had a look at the international stuff that's going on. Uh we're gonna leave that there and we're gonna come back in a moment and chat about a couple of big stories that have been doing their rounds today, uh, which include uh, Mesut Ozil possibly moving on, possibly somebody coming into Man City, and also um, talk of uh, new money, uh, which never seems to be a problem uh, for Manchester United. Uh, we'll talk more about that on the Football Social Daily,
0: Premier League Daily from Sports Social.
2: Football Social Daily. Get daily news and updates on your team via your Amazon Alexa. Just ask. Alexa, open sports social.
1: It is the Football Social Daily, and uh, it's usually the Premier League preview. Obviously, no Premier League games happening, but lots of Premier League news going around, doing the rounds. Some rumours. Some, well, are they factual? Are they not? Let's try and get to the bottom of it. Let's start uh, with Arsenal and chat. About Mesut Ozil, who's been conspicuous in his absence recently, Fergal.
3: Yeah, in my in my brief, I don't know how many days you give me as an Arsenal fan. Now <laughs> I was Everton last week, so I'd say about five days. In my in my five days of supporting Arsenal, uh, I already have had enough of Mesut Ozil. Um, I understand the situation that he, he does have a lot of supporters within Arsenal Football Club. Um, the situation this week, where the head of <clears throat> Sorry, head of football, Raul Sanelli has come out and said that one of the main reasons that he's not playing at the moment is that he's not pulling his weight in training. What's amazed me is that he was speaking at a fan event and that he was so open about it. Arsenal, when it comes to Ozil, are used to kind of secondhand rumours or whispers. This has been a direct comment from the club about why he's been missing, as you say, conspicuous in his absence from virtually every big game we've played so far this season. Um I understand, as I say, I understand the point of view that fans will have of what he has done for Arsenal, but I just think systematically, you know, I've made this point a number of times on the podcast, he isn't what Arsenal need, he isn't the level that he was, and I think whilst Arsenal are still trying to find their feet in terms of making a consistent challenge for top four, he's not someone that you can rely on to lead that, he's not someone that you can necessarily rely on to make a definitive impact in getting there. Um, The big story is that he's potentially moving to Turkey, to Fenerbahce, How much legs there is in that? I don't know. I was chatting to Mark before we started recording, saying it's you know it's the most Turkish transfer I've ever like in terms of the player in the stage of the career that they are being offered one last contract. It's absolutely nailed on because he won't go for anything less than probably two hundred thousand a week, which is what he's on currently at Arsenal. So I, I'm not too sure in terms of the rumours, but if they are true. I would be happy to see him go,
1: but he's still as it's not like he's at the end of his contract. And obviously, when he came into the club, he was it kind of came out of the blue. First of all, in terms of like the fact that Wenger spent money on him, and was it about forty million he spent? When
3: when forty two? Yeah, he was he was the the record transfer for some time. And I think initially that did kind of affect him. That, listen, there has been good parts of Mesut Özil. I, I would actually say that about six months after he came, we we arguably saw the Real Madrid. Ozil at Arsenal, yeah. but it 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 you know it did, it burned very briefly. It burned brightly, but it burned, burned very briefly. And I think a lot of the rhetoric surrounding him about how he plays away from home and how he plays when he has a minor injury or against certain opposition, I think, unfortunately, a lot of that is true. And, you know, I'm not someone to believe just things being banded around online or amongst supporter groups. I've seen this when I've gone to watch Arsenal away. You do see him on the pitch, where he is position-wise, his effort. I've seen it at the Etihad, I've seen it at Old Trafford, Anfield. Time and time again, when Arsenal have gone away and played against a top-four rival, when you look at his equivalent on the opposition, you look at someone like David Silva for Manchester City, he's always the one that I go to in these situations. He's constantly having an impact on the game. He's constantly wanting to get on the ball. That isn't the situation with Ozil.
1: I suppose the word mercurial comes to light here. What I find really interesting just about what you said there was the fact that this all came out at a fan event. And we're so used... to to there being so much protection around the players. And I know, like, uh, Sam and Mark, you spend a lot more time uh, in the clubs with with the press team, occasionally with the managers and players. I mean, do, have you ever experienced something like this? Like, somebody being so open in recent times?
2: Well, I mean, City did the whole documentary, didn't they? There was like eight episodes, and mm-hmm. I don't think there was anything, not even explosive, but like mildly as controversial as as that in the whole thing.
1: Well, I, I, I suppose the thing with that was they had a lot of time to edit it because yeah, it, it came a few months but, but after the that's end. That's what of the I mean. Season. They just, yeah.
2: they don't get themselves in that kind of situation, you mm, know. Yeah, I I can't think of any you know, any no, yeah. equivalent of fan events where there would be anyway. But that, it just wouldn't happen at City, I don't think. Yeah, especially because you know there's not so many problems. But you know, they there would be potential for someone to say, "Oh, Mendy, this is," or you know, Sane's the other. But. It's just not going to happen, is it? Like it's a bit of a, a bit of a weird one, at Arsenal. But it probably goes to show the depth of frustration at Özil for so long. Although that said, it was a I thought even at the time it was a silly decision to give him so much money. Kind of the, the whole Wenger thing was kind of coming to an end, and it just yeah, seemed like
0: it just shackled. That's the, whole, the root, of the club, isn't really? It? That's the root of the issue here. I think. I think when he signs that contract that makes him, it's like three hundred and fifty grand a week in in January. What 18 months ago. It's just like six months before Wenger's going. So I suppose the question that you have here now is, have, Did were Arsenal aware that Wenger was going? And if they were, did they know who they were going to get in? Did they know they were going to get Emery? And did they know they were going to get a manager that wasn't that keen on Ozil? Because if they did, then why give him the contract? If they didn't, then there's got to be a bit more due process and a bit more planning and structure in place there. And it
2: wasn't like I mean, yeah, I suppose you could look at it now in theory and go, oh, they were tying down their best player, but they were question marks. These question marks were being said or being hanging around Ozil mm. at the time as well. It wasn't like, we need to keep this guy at all costs. It was, well, we're not, you know, is Ozil that good a player? You know, is is he that consistent as, you know, somebody like David Silver or whoever you could, you could say at the time. It was, it was just a weird one to pay him that much money in its own right. But like, like we say, you know, with Wenger going and all that kind of stuff. Just it was a weird one, and you know, in the fullness of time, it's proven to be as bad a decision as it looked at the time.
1: Is it just that it sometimes just happens that way? Because it, it's not the first time a manager's come in and not got on with the star player. I mean, we we saw it at Man City for a long time. It looked like Guardiola and Aguero were not getting on. Yeah, yeah. It looked like um, Aguero was was out. Jesus came, Jesus came in, and also he wasn't playing him. And he said he wasn't. He was very critical of him. He wasn't working. But they worked that out. So is is that down to? Um, do you think that's down to Aguero as an individual that one player? Was, yeah, that one think, was. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah, hundred percent. Because you have just got to adapt to Guardiola, or that's it. Because if you don't, it'd have been gone. Like, but then, it's but, as simple as that. But then shouldn't but,
1: shouldn't it be that that way at any football club? Because the football, yeah, because the manager is said, the one in yeah. charge.
2: It should be. Yeah, I mean, just obviously it it isn't always. But like we were saying, it's not as if Urzel was doing an especially good job before. You know, Aguero was really good anyway. Guardiola's made him even better Ozil was a good player and, you know there's a lot of people I guess probably not in this room but there's a, there are a lot of people who are thinking oh Ozil's really good and you know, you can't win this and you can't win that without being the kind of player he is and you know look at the mm. chances he creates and that kind of stuff and there is that argument but for me it was just too many games as Fergal said never mind away games there were just a lot of games where he just didn't turn up in and that was the big, the big issue so there was already those question marks around him anyway and then I don't know. It, it seemed like Emery took one look at him and went, not for me. Mm. And yeah, like that might have been the same with Aguero, but there was that process of Aguero knuckled down and tried. But, you know, we've seen it at City with other players like Joe Hart, just basically wasn't going to make that yep. effort. Yaya Torre, there was a big fallout there. He eventually did come back in. Um But it, it's obviously down to generally the player, because if it's a new manager coming in, which invariably it is, they're not going to get sacked within a month are they so yeah it's on, it's on the player to do it
1: I suppose that's quite a statement from Arsenal as well because if it's almost as if is it Emery or is it Ozil and if it's Ozil's going that, that's them sort of in in a sense that's them being very supportive and getting behind the manager mm-hmm.
0: true I think um, I think if you had to make a choice between a manager that you've signed I'm not sure how long Emery's contract is I think it was about three years mm-hmm. but if, if if you're having to make a choice between your successor to Arsene Wenger or Ozil who is now a 31 year old you know, player who doesn't fit into Emery's system, as we've been saying, hasn't really delivered the performances that make you think, right, well, we definitely need to keep this guy. Then you're you're going to pick the manager every time. And like, let's be honest, Arsenal have made a lot of bad decisions over the years. We've been very critical of them. But this seems to me to be one that there isn't really any argument about. I mean, we're talking about it like it's a massive controversy, but it doesn't even really feel like it's a huge controversy because it seems kind of accepted that Ozil's played himself into this position now. Um, if I was if I was speaking in his defence, the one thing I would say is, what do we expect of him? I think when he came here, there was all that excitement because it was the last day, it was the deadline day, forty five million pounds. But has he ever really been that player that does seize a game and does create, you know, umpteen chances that his teammates finish? Was he ever like that at Real Madrid? I don't seem to remember him being like that. So. To me, has always been a player that does things that maybe we don't notice, and maybe that's our fault because we're too busy filing on the whistle or whatever, but he does he does the things that go slightly unappreciated, but that's, it. you know, he's, like I say, he's 31 now, that's on the wane, and I think it's the right decision, yeah.
1: He's still cracking when you get him in FIFA, though, so to be fair, but uh, that, that doesn't really count long term. So, so that's Ozil possibly on his way out as soon as January, and... Uh, we just mentioned City there and, and Aguero and Pep, and there's talk about um, somebody coming in from Benfica, possibly?
2: Uh, well, yeah, that's that's um, the rumour. Ruben Dias was in in the mirror, although I, I saw it characterised on Twitter as the mirror was saying reports in Portugal, so you've always got to be careful mm. about that. But um, that said, I had a bit of a hunch about Dias in the summer. You know, a tip-off, you always get these things. Um, during the transfer season. But whenever I looked into it, I, it was a bit of a, a closed door. All I could find out really was that, because he's got a buyout clause of about 66 million euros, which is very much in the City range. You know yeah. what, what City do now is find players with a buyout clause like that and they'll pay it.
0: I think all the transfers in the last few years have been around that price Yeah, mark, exactly. It's, it's just, crazy. Yeah, yeah. It's
2: like nobody, nobody below, nobody above. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but that,
1: that sounds like to me, that would be like, you know, that, that's too much, I'm going to go somewhere else. But that's like, just that's basically, I suppose, maybe that buyout clause is known within the business as the Man City level. <laughs> At the moment <laughs> it is. Yeah. And,
2: but that's when I was sniffing around in the summer, the only thing I could hear was Benfica wanted to put that clause up to about 100 million because obviously they know clubs are, are sniffing around. Um yeah, and like I say, I always kind of had that hunch, but nothing more than that. And then it, when I saw the report yesterday, I was like, yeah, I, I can really see that. The thing is, Guardiola said the other week they wouldn't be signing a centre-back in January. Um, he said a few things about transfers in press conferences in the past that haven't turned out to be true, but I don't think he was misleading. I just think City's plans are so open to change. You know, they were going to sign Chilwell up until the end of April, and then I think Mendy... Mendy had a setback to the extent that they couldn't really get rid of him and that changed plans and then they went for Maguire and said they'd been the whole left-back thing. Um, you know, so there, there's that. Things do change. Um, but the other thing is, it's difficult to buy a centre-back in January. Well, it's difficult to buy anyone in January. Everyone knows that. Unless you've got a buyout clause. But the other side of it is, is, they've their squad's full. You know, after they didn't get Maguire in the summer, if they'd have sold Otto Mendy, they would have signed an overseas centre-back, and that was another thing that made me think, I'll oh, bet it's Diaz. But obviously, Otamendi didn't go. Will they get rid of him in the, in the middle of the season? George Mendes is Otamendi's agent. It, Mendes has got a great relationship with like, every top club, obviously, but especially with City, they might say, can you do us a favour? Can you get this guy to Benfica? Can you get him to Valencia? Can you get him to China, for argument's sake? You know, Because they might feel, we actually do need to make a change here, um, and, they, and they go for Diaz. But it's going to take a lot of moving around because that squad is full.
1: You say it's difficult to, to bring in a centre-back, particularly in January, but if my memory serves me correct, that's exactly when Laporte came in. Yeah, the and squad.
2: again, with a buyout. So that it, it's difficult, but if they've got a buyout, you think that gives them not half a chance, but it makes things slightly easier. But the other thing is, they still need to get a foreign player out of the squad because their quota's full. And there's nobody else, really. Unless, again, and this is another little rabbit hole, but if Sane goes... Mm. and nobody knows what's going to happen there but if Sarney does go there is money available obviously and there is a space in the squad so it is possible but it it you know it, it's going to take these moving around and that's probably why pep said it's not going to happen there's a it's sense difficult.
0: there's a sense as well at the same time i think that is completely the homegrown quote, is something one reason why it could might not happen in january the other thing is financial fair play and that city need to be seen not to be splashing the cash at the minute and there is this kind of sense that if they go out and you know, spend the load on. Uh, if they're having all these problems, then they use money to fix them. Then that's going to bring extra kind of scrutiny and heat on them when this investigation is going on. So, I think that's another that's another element to it, and certainly the homegrown thing. I'd be, I'd would be surprised if they move in January. Although, with the way results are going, maybe the hand will be forced.
2: Yeah, and obviously the Champions League will still be in place, so they might think, mm. let's do it. But like, it, it, it's a big if to get. They couldn't get rid of Ottomendi in the summer when people were looking to buy. Not many people are looking to buy to that extent in January. And if they want to get rid of him, then his stock will be lower. Obviously he's in a bad form at the moment. He could he could get better. But if he's gets worse, he's you know, his stock's not going to be high. And yeah, the whole Sane thing is might still be injured. Bayern might think we'll wait till the end of the season and, you know, get him for even cheaper, that kind of thing. So this is why it's really difficult to see happening. But you know, there is, you know, the door's slightly ajar because of these factors.
1: So with with you guys all being like proper football journalists here. Like, how much stock can we put into these rumours that we see? Because surely when you're doing a negotiation like this, if if there's stuff going around like, yeah, they want them, they're interested, then obviously that puts you in a position where you can charge more money, you do all those things. So, I mean, it, I, I, I don't know if you've got like a rule of thumb, Fergal, but is it like if you see a story from a certain source or if you see it pop up in so many different sources, or is it like, should we go 90% of these rumours that we see are never going to happen?
3: Um, I wouldn't I wouldn't go as far as to say 90. I think quite a big percentage, over 50% are just made up. And you can track that from source. And particularly, and Sam made a good point before, there's a lot of UK sources that will quote a uh, European-based source so that if it turns out to be absolute nonsense, they can kind of wash the hands of it. And that's particularly the case with, with regards to Spanish papers and, and Portuguese papers, because you know, we're talking about daily sports newspapers the likes of Marca, particularly in Spain, which have to fill 50, 60 pages of news every single day. So there's a lot of stuff that gets made up. Um, I, yeah, I, I
1: just want to, you know, like, I wonder what that would be like to trying to produce daily sport content. You'd never get me <laughs> making anything <laughs> up.
3: <laughs> but you've got you've got a situation whereby, I think if you, if you see rumours being replicated and particularly coming from strong sources and they don't come to pass, I think a lot of times that's not necessarily that it was a lie or, or made up or embellished, but... As as Sam mentioned before, there's 101 things that go on behind the scenes that can block deals, can stop deals, managers can change their mind, players can change their mind. For, For a deal to go through, particularly a big money deal for a major European side, every single thing needs to be in order. You know, we, we look at these things on transfer deadline day, and and people go, "How does this happen? Why is every year everyone rushing around?" And the, you know, why couldn't they have got this done before? That's because it takes so many things to complete a football transfer.
1: Yeah, and I think as well, we forget that the 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 real people in this to us they become a commodity. But I, I mean, I've been lucky enough to to actually it's showing off here a little bit, but I've, I've been to Otomeni's house and I met him and I met his okay. wife, and um, I you know I, I I know that they're very happy here in manchester so that's going to be a factor in what they do and they move on and obviously you know those factors would all come into it but we very much look at it from this perspective and we do this all the time we forget that they're real people i mean some of the stuff we were saying about uh ozil as well you know we're questioning his his His
0: character his character yeah (laughs) but
1: really it's just like he just might have just like he's just maybe just passed his prime and actually let's be fair you put him on a -a five-a-side pitch with any of us and he'd, he'd wipe the floor with us
0: Oh yeah, totally, and I, I, that's a point. Um, coming back to Thanks the that. <laughs> <laughs> coming back to the thing about uh, how whether you believe rumours, I think look, every, every transfer story has an element of truth in it, in that I, I believe that pretty much every journalist is faithfully reporting what they've been told. Um, it's the question is whether what they've been told is true, and you know when when say someone gives you a transfer line. There's a reason why they're doing that. It might be to generate interest in the player. It might be to, I don't know. There's there's a, there's a thousand reasons why. So when if if you're a, like a if you're a, a fan who wants to know whether this player is signing for your club, I think the best thing you can do is just try and learn how to read this stuff critically and read between the lines and see what journalists report on one thing or on another. Or you know, like Fergal's saying where where the the story might come from, what country it originates from. This is all stuff, because it is confusing, and we all get confused by it as well, even on this side of the fence.
1: Have you ever got it really wrong? Yeah, uh,
0: gotcha, I have. Uh, I got, I, sound yeah. <laughs> could tell you. Well, I, you know, I like to think
2: normally it's all right. Um, but yeah, this summer, the whole Bruno Fernandez thing was kicking off. Yeah. Um, and I was like, I don't know. It was like a Tuesday, I remember, because I came in to do a podcast in this studio. Um, and I thought, okay, I'll make a few calls on that. Didn't really get anywhere. Someone was like, no, I'm not sure about that. Spoke to a good source on the Friday, I think, and he was like, "No, they're just discussing like a partnership with Sporting." And I went, mm, "Okay, fine." But I was the 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 rumours were so persistent, and I kept speaking to City. I was like, "Look, is there anything to be said?" Because normally, if if City are linked with a player they don't want, they'll tell you. They will. They will say, will not yeah. they?" Because I, City don't want to be taken for a ride. And
1: when you say that, when you say that, when I speak to City, is it just yeah. one person that you speak? Yeah, to? Yeah, well, is there's, there's, like, a, or there's, there's the... like a press team basically. Okay.
2: Um, I don't think that's giving away too much they wouldn't be happy with. But City you you don't want to be taken for a ride. You know, if there's if they're getting linked with a player in the Spanish press or Italian press or whatever, they'll say, it's not happening. So a few times I was like, right, what's going on? And they were like, no, we, there's like two weeks at the end of the season, so we're not saying anything. Else, right? well, I was like, right. I'd started speaking to a guy I know in Portugal. And he, I was like, I asked him before and he said, no, I couldn't find anything. So then about four days later, I went, can you have a look again? Because... The story's just not going away. There's a few things that, you know, a couple of people have told me it might be on, but they're not my most trusted sources. What's going on? And then he, I remember he rang me back on a Sunday and he had like a lot of information, like a lot of, uh, like these are the players who might be involved, these are the fees it might be. And I was like, well, this sounds good to me. Let's crack on. He's published it on the Monday. Um... You know, with all the kind of stuff in the background about City weren't denying it. There was a couple of people who said this might be happening. This guy in Portugal who had a load of, load of information. I was like, this sounds fine to me. Um, and then I think City, again, when I say City, they they rang journalists or messaged journalists three days later saying you can ignore the, Bernardo, uh, the Bernardo, uh, Bruno Fernandes link because it's not going to happen. So I just tweeted that straight away. I went, sorry, I got that one wrong. City won't be um, buying Bruno Fernandes this summer. And that, that's it, because, I mean, maybe I was that invested in the idea of, no, there must be something to it. Sure. But, you know, when my one of my better sources said, no, there's nothing in it, it's just some link, you know, I should have just listened to that. But I was, I was so kind of thinking, there must be something. And then when I got those signs that were confirmation, I acted on them, and it was like, that was a, a bit of a shocker. But, no, but, you know, but since then, you just learn again to listen a bit more, you know, the sources you have got and you do trust, you know, you've got them for a reason, just trust them a bit more.
1: But then couldn't there be a little bit of double bluffing going on possibly by some agents just trying to sort of increase the price? Well, yeah,
2: well, this yeah. is it, because, and that's why I was kind of, that's why I'm always particularly reluctant about, for some reason, Italy and Portugal, again, because of the daily stuff, you know, it's got to come out every day, but there's agents there and, like, Italy is so is so agent-driven, all the transfer talk that comes out of Italy. So I didn't, again, because of that, once being twice shy, I didn't look at Cancelo for ages. I kept seeing the Cancelo rumours coming out of Italy and then Portugal, and I went, nah, I'm not having this. Like It just doesn't seem right. And then finally one day I was like, okay, so I'll, I'll check it out properly. And it was, oh, yeah, they do. But yeah, with this one, again, I think the guy I'd spoken to in, in Portugal, he'd gone and spoken to the agents, I think, and the people at the club who were presumably putting it out into the Portuguese press every day. And then that's how I then got sucked into that trap that the Portuguese press were in, where they were getting told stuff, well, not, not in good faith, in bad faith, I think. And they were reporting it because it had come from someone close to the club and like an, an agent involved in the deal. But in reality, it wasn't true.
1: To be honest, I think I kind of understood the nation's league stuff better.
0: Than this. <laughs> yeah, sorry, um, it's a murky, murky world.
1: Yeah, I, I well, I I feel better about it now that, that you you have the same issues that I do. But I it, it can get very exciting, and it used to always be the first tab that I would open up on on my laptop or on my phone when I go to. It's just the rumor, especially in the summer when there's nothing else uh, going on. One other rumor I, I want to talk about, maybe maybe Fergal, you can chat to us a little bit about this, is uh, Mourinho. He's been quiet for a while,
3: but he's back in the press. He is. Uh, and to be honest, you, you talk about gossip pages. He's never far away from it when he's, whether he's in a job or whether he's out of a job. He's, you know, he's he's one of them types of people that people, fans love to hear about, hear, love to hear from him. Whether he's, managing their club whether he's hating their club whatever he's never far away yeah, from this because he's, he's done a little bit of punditry and the yeah. last i heard he was going to get his own talk show on russia today well i think that's now been shelved i think he was offered i think it was an ice hockey show he was offered to, to do some sort of presenting or punditry i don't know but i think you can see by him in any recent interviews he's done there was the bizarre social media video from a few weeks ago where he kind of was interviewed it looked like in a in a park it was all very odd um you can tell by him that he wants another job he wants to come back and i think a lot of this is um due to how it ended at united i think he does feel very angry i think he's a bit of a wounded animal i think he feels you know whether he's right whether he's wrong the way that he was treated and the way that obviously his departure was handled by united he's clearly not happy and I think that's his default setting, and that's he, you know, he he's somebody that runs on hatred or at least kind of grievance with people. That's that's what gets him going, so sort of gets him up in the morning. And I think he's most definitely looking at another job. There was the story earlier on this week from the from the Leon president saying that they offered him their job, and he said, "No, I've got something lined up. Thanks for the offer, but don't worry about it. I've got something sorted for the next few months." Obviously, that sent everyone then into into a frenzy. Where's Mourinho going? Is he going here? Is he going there? I think we'll see him in another job before the end of the season. I'd be genuinely surprised if he's not. Do you think there's a chance we'd ever see him back
1: in the Premier League? Uh,
2: yeah. Well, a mate, a mate, I know a mate who was speaking to him yesterday, and he he messaged me and he said, "I get the feeling Jose's got a new job, but he won't tell me what it is." Um, and then he was like, "I think it might be Everton." Right. But, but that's just a hunch. And I was, but but I said, "thing is, if you were going to take the Everton job, and like the situation that Spurs are in now." would you not give yourself two weeks a month at least? Because if you go to Everton, if you're Jose Mourinho, especially, and you go to Everton, and then Pochettino leaves Spurs, you'd think, I've made a bad decision there. Look, he, but he talks about coming back, and he, he's, he's always having a go at United when he says it, isn't he? But he says if he comes back, or his next club, it's going to be a man, a, a team with a structure. But you know, Everton have got Marcel Brands, the sporting director for yeah. PSV, who, who's generally well-regarded, I think. They've obviously got backing in the transfer market and they've got a new stadium in the works. So maybe that'll be something that would appeal to him. But, I mean, the situation Everton are in, it's, it doesn't... I mean, the thing is, Mourinho's going to have to take a step down now one way or the other. That's a fact. But no disrespect to Everton fans, but it feels that feels like, you know, a couple of steps down.
1: I think when you're talking about the structure there, straight to my mind came, like, if he had a trouble with getting the money out of Manchester United to get the players he wanted, surely he's going to have trouble with Daniel Le- Levy at Spurs. Yeah, that's that's one yeah. of the issues that we've seen. Um, also, just on that though, Spurters does make more sense. I'm going to sound like a complete stalker now after, after what I said about Otamendi because um, uh, Jose's still got a house in uh, London,
0: right?
1: yeah. and so so you know, obviously, you know, he likes the city. Would potentially be back there as well.
0: I think um, of of all of them, I would say. Real Madrid's the likeliest Yeah, I mean, I they're, they're top. Are they top of the moment? Or they are they, top at the moment. I don't know,
2: but, all, but it, it, like they could lose one game, couldn't they? And they go right. There's been so enough.
0: many problems there over the between Perez and Zidane over the summer. Uh, Mourinho again, it comes back to reading stuff with you know reading between the lines. There was a report in the Sunday Times a couple of weeks ago by a journalist who may be close to Mourinho. Uh, <laughs> we're not sure, but but he was saying that Mourinho's was interested in Real Madrid and that basically talks had been in place. Um, I think Madrid they've obvi- they're obviously struggling in the Champions League at the moment they've got Galatasaray away and then I think straight after that they've got uh, Barcelona uh, the Nou Camp <coughs> excuse me so uh, yeah to me that seems like the most obvious avenue for him and he's making no secret of his desire to go there
3: yeah I think that's when you look at the situation you look at Jose Mourinho, you look at Frontino Perez and you look at the Real Madrid fan base, they're almost a match made in heaven in terms of they get each other. I think from the outside looking in, everyone looks at that scenario and thinks, my God, I'd hate to be involved in that. But you're talking about three entities that are absolutely head over heels in love with each other. I think Frontino was quite clear before he brought Zidane back in in March time and, and moved out Santiago Solari that he wanted... Mourinho, Mourinho was his first choice. He had to kind of bite the bullet and bring Zidane back in and make promises in terms of money that he was going to give. There's a lot of talk about Mourinho and the money that he'd demand or the money that would be given to him. Zidane spent over 350 million euro in the summer on players and yes they are top of the league but Sam is absolutely right and I, and I cover a lot of Spanish football and I and I hear these stories and I read these stories and, and with more than a a kilo of salt thrown on top of them but it is true that if he comes out of double header with Galatasaray and El Clasico and Barcelona win or Atletico Madrid start getting back on form they're struggling at the moment he'll be under pressure like the the length of pressure and the length of leeway that managers are given in La Liga is I would say on average about a month, if not two months shorter than the Premier League. If you think we're tough on managers in the Premier League, in La Liga, it's another level. And the money, the prestige of the club, the transfers, the players that he's brought in, Hazard has broken the transfer record this summer. All that will be weighing on Zidane's shoulders. Nothing but a La Liga win and possibly a Champions League win or at least probably a last four will keep him in the job. And I wouldn't be surprised, as Sam said, if, if Mourinho takes a step back and says, right, This is the situation at Everton. This is the situation at Spurs. I'm going to sit pretty and see how it plays at Madrid. And all that chat about Jose Mourinho leads us rather nicely onto Jim and this week's
1: contribution from On The Left Side.
4: On The Left Side, the funny football show. (coughs) Remember how we all laughed when Jose Mourinho said this following his sacking? If I tell you that I consider one of the best jobs of my career to finish second with Manchester United in the Premier League... You say, this guy is crazy. He won 25 titles and he's saying that a second position was one of his best achievements in in football. Well, it doesn't just look like his finest achievement in football now, it looks like a bloody miracle. Like turning water into wine or (coughs) turning Phil Jones into a competent defender. Manchester United are a team that look like they're in real trouble, and manager Ole Gunnar Solskjaer looks like a man who just doesn't know how to fix the problem. Mm -hmm. In fact, every time I see Ole now in a post-match press conference, his eyes look more sunken, his brow looks more furrowed. He's beginning to resemble one of the hobbits from Lord of the Rings. And I don't mean at the beginning, where they're all fresh-faced and excited about going on an adventure. I mean, right at the end where they've already fought off orc hordes and travelled for days without food and drink and lost friends to other causes, suffered horrific injuries and looked straight into the very heart of darkness and evil itself before finally bringing an end to the tyrannical reign of Lord Woodward. Sorry, sorry, not Lord Woodward. I mean, Saruman. It's Lord Saruman, right? You can see how I got confused, though. Ah,
2: young Ole. I know you are happy here in Mould, but I have a mission for you. You must accept. It is the one you were born to do. Ah, great. Will I have my old mentor, Fergie the Grey,
4: to help me? Ah, no. He's more of a figurehead now. Okay, well, still good, Do you have a special sword that warns me of nearby danger and evil? Not a sword as such.
2: But we do have a new, very lucrative official sword supplier.
4: Oh, okay. How about a magic ring? Um... I can maybe get you Fred to play in midfield? Oh, shit. You can find more from on the left side in our weekly podcast. Find us wherever you listen to podcasts.
1: Not good times at Manchester United at all. Uh, Jim's going to kill me for nicking this joke. But from Middle Earth to mid-table, perhaps? (laughs) All right. (laughs) (laughs) That's why you let me steal it. Uh, So, uh, United also in the news about a new shirt sponsor, or rather an extension to a deal.
3: Um, I think what's happening with United at the moment, obviously, as you mentioned, there's this talks over Chevrolet. Will they, won't they extend their contract beyond 2021? And I think this is just another thing on, on social media that's turning United into into meme material. Um, I've, seen, I've seen posts already today of potential suggestions for who could take over from Chevrolet if they don't re, uh, renew their deal, who United should be looking to source. And I just think it's an example, and United fans will be listening to this and going, no, we're still Manchester United, but... Chevrolet as a brand if they're pulling out and we look at the kind of where they're operating from a financial position are we are we seeing a change in terms of the level of attraction of sponsorship that Manchester United can get or is this just a situation of a company saying this isn't for us anymore
0: I think the one thing to say on it is that uh, so it's like a four hundred and ten million deal over seven years and it's that is so expensive and such it was it was deemed such a bad deal the guy who struck it got sacked from Chevrolet. <laughs> <laughs> Two days after it was announced. So I don't think it was ever really realistic that this was going to be renewed. Uh, and if it was going to be renewed, it was always going to be on diminished terms. But what happens now is, this is really kind of, like you say, it's kind of like a an opportunity for United to show that they can still command lots of commercial revenue, because that's always been their great strength. That's how they've made most of their money. But that's kind of like stagnated, if you like. If you look at the figures uh, since about 2016... And just did, so they're still
1: doing all right. Was it last month they announced profits of six hundred and fifteen million? Yeah.
0: So there's that. But then if you look at, I mean, the, the, when those come out, it's always like, oh, they're coming out at one o'clock. They come out at one o'clock. Oh, we got record revenues, and you know everybody rushes to get it up online. So the the, the headline is always they have got record revenues. If you look at if you look at the details of it, they said because we're out of the Champions League this year because we weren't in it. Uh, uh, well, yeah. So basically for this season. That the, those revenues are going to fall back to about five sixty, five eighty. So, so that will be a fall.
1: I, I could handle that. Yes, like if, but... like if, if if the paymasters here want to <laughs> cut me back to five hundred sixty million, I'll be fine with that.
0: Sure, but then I mean, if your if your whole like football club is predicated on the idea that you're going to be bringing in six hundred, it's a problem, isn't it? And the, the, they've got this other issue where if they don't get the Champions League this year, the Adidas deal, which is worth about seventy five million, that's going to be cut in by thirty percent.
1: All right, but how, how much of a problem is it here? Because we've just seen like Bury go under, Bolton yeah. almost go under for pittance by comparison, right? So are we seriously talking like you know if if one of these deals fell through, don't, we could see Man no. Surely not. No, Surely no, not.
0: no, no. Of course not, because the the sums are too the sums are too huge. But. Uh, it's it's just like it's just a bit of a reckoning for the way that the club's been managed in the post-Ferguson era. You know, you'd have to reset your kind of objectives and your expectations a little bit. And you know, I think to be honest, we've seen that. We, we you know we we go into the season talking about United as a team that well, hopefully they'll get top four, but if they don't, maybe that's understandable. This is you know it's United; they used to they used to be favourites for the title every year. So that's already happened to an extent, and it will carry on happening unless you know unless there's some changes on the football side.
1: Speaking of changes and football, one story I've got to talk about before we go, I don't know if you saw this this week, was Petr Cech has uh, announced having retired from football. He's still got the competitive edge. He's still going to keep in sport. And he signed for a Guildford ice hockey team, which I'm not being funny. I mean, I I think Petr Cech was possibly one of the the, the greatest players in the Premier League era, uh, at least between the sticks. Um, but considering the injury that he had, the type of injury, and the special <laughs> headwear they he had, surely the last thing he needs to be doing is standing in front of smaller, harder objects flying at his head.
0: That's true. Don't they start fighting each other in ice? Well, yeah, as well? that's
1: it as well. And it, like they let each other around the head. They
0: yeah. let it happen. You could definitely do that on NHL, like two thousand
2: and four or whatever. So. <laughs> Yeah, but do they do that over here? It seems it seems like one of those things. As Br- us Brits wouldn't allow happen. A very American preserve that beating each other up, so, uncouth.
1: So this this got me thinking: Is uh, you know, are, are there any other examples you can think of, of of footballers that have gone on to other sporting careers, or perhaps footballers uh, that that we see these days uh, that w- that would do a good job? I mean, obviously we've had the likes of Vinny Jones going to acting and that kind of thing, but I'm thinking, well, let's keep it trying in in, in sporting environments.
0: I've got a good one but you'll think I'm making it up. Okay. <laughs> Do you know Bixente Lizarazu? You remember him? Lizarazu? Oh, France, a, yeah, left yeah, yeah, yeah. He became a Brazilian jiu-jitsu expert. In fact, he was the European champion in the Blue Belt Senior One Light Division in 2009. No way. So there you go. That's impressive. And I'm not making it up.
2: Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, uh, fair enough. <laughs> I was just I was just marveling at how specific that particular well you know if you do research, because blue belts yeah. kind of in the middle <laughs> you know blue belts yeah not. but like, to, yeah.
1: To, to be fair I, I don't know how much you know but to get to blue belt that's a, it's about six years to get to oh, your really? blue belt yeah yeah, yeah. Okay. And so uh, well
2: I'm I, I wasn't going to mention this but I've got a blue belt in kickboxing it took me about 18 months yeah
1: but that's the that's the whole thing so with kickboxing depending (laughs) where you you go or when you can get to black belt in six six months whereas in uh, Brazilian Jiu Jitsu oh you definitely take no, it it takes at least ten years to get to black belt that's and it's really tough really hard um a couple of guys that, are, that I mean I, really I wasn't saying I could him. beat
2: him up or anything it, it just <laughs> seemed like it just seemed like a specific thing but yeah obviously that's, let's sports, see if we can sort different that different out different parts for different needs
1: we'll see if we could sort that out for a Christmas special we'll get Liz Arazu on the show and a fight to the death against wow, Sam
2: That he. <laughs> might help Ross's reach uh, yeah um, yeah uh, well there's there's other like like Tim Visa, did he go? It wasn't just wrestling because like Grant Holt went into wrestling, didn't he? But Tim Visa went into like he the was full actual, on WWE, yes, yeah, like the main, the main show, like that is that's Where, probably that's got to be the best one. Grant it?
0: Holt was doing like tours of Skegness, but he's like properly yeah. Know, I mean, Monday British wrestling
2: has always been yeah. like you absolutely s- pathetic, hasn't it? Yeah. Like <laughs> not even just in comparison to. To the WWE or know, WWF I mean, you, you can again. You, not saying I could beat any of them up, but
1: you could see the Grant Holt thing. Or I think it was January this year. He did a 40 man Royal Rumble, which he won. It was which oh, is wow. not not okay. bad for your debut. But honestly, it's great. It, it's like Arsenal Manu in days gone by.
3: Okay, I thought that was funny. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Fergal? Yes. You got anyone? Um, mine's probably one that didn't actually really come to the fore which is the Rio Ferdinand incredibly, incredibly, incredibly brief boxing career and it was just one of them I, I think the way he handled it the way he announced it I think he came across as quite arrogant in terms of how he assumed that obviously he wasn't going to walk into the ring straight away but he was very, very, very quick to say it won't take me that long you know, look at me you know, who's going to fight me? And it's just, you know, it kind of reminded me of the, the Conor McGregor Floyd Mayweather situation where it's like, yeah, you're really good at this, which has got similar skills, but you're not a boxer. And if Conor McGregor is not a boxer, Rio Ferdinand's definitely not a boxer. Uh, I'm upset that he didn't really follow through with it. Cause I would love to have seen him have a couple of fights just, just, just out of sheer curiosity, because I say, and I'm, I'm going to follow Sam's line here. You know, we, we sound like we're calling all these people out. And on the off chance that, you know, Lizarazu and Tim Vice and Grant Holt are, are sitting around and, and having a bit of lunch together and listening to this podcast, I would like to unreservedly apologise on behalf of all my no, colleagues I, here. No, I'd, I'd like <laughs> to invite them. Yeah, nah. we're, we're going to have a Christmas <laughs> special Royal Rumble. Um, but as for Roy, uh, Roy, Roy Ferdinand, Roy Keane, definitely. No, <laughs> I wouldn't fight him. No, 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 no. Rio Ferdinand, get him in. Um, yeah, I just think it was an example where he thought, yeah, I can take this on. It's easily, it's easily doable. But when you compare it to the likes of Lizarazu, trained for years... Swapping sports is not easy uh, and, and it takes a long, long, long time. And I think Ferdinand, it would have been really nice to see him just fall into that trap.
1: Uh, I'd like to talk about uh, a footballer, Premier League footballer that went on to arguably uh, more of a game than a sport. Uh, but that's Thomas Graveson. And if you've got any time at all, spend some time reading up about Thomas Graveson, not just what he's doing now, but like some of the stuff he did while he was a professional footballer. The guy is just... it, it uh, for legal reasons, I'm just going to say it makes for very entertaining reading. Okay. Um, so the the reason why this is particularly interesting to me is one of my best mates, Arwen, um, actually bumped into Thomas Graveson on a night out years ago. And it was as as he was coming to the latter end of his career and he got chatting to him. They had a drink and he just literally said to him, he said, look, what, what's your plans? Are you going to go into punditry? Are you going to do in commentary? And he says, nope. What I've done is I've saved up all the money that I've earned during football. And as soon as I finish getting on a plane, I'm going to Vegas and I'm putting it all on black. (laughs) Thomas Graveson, last I heard, is living and working as a professional poker player in Las Vegas. So he must have done that. He literally must have gone over there and done that.
0: Or at least maybe spread it out (laughs) (laughs) over a few spins. (laughs) Don't forget green because that's how they get you.
3: Yeah. Oh
1: yeah, (laughs)
3: Thomas Gravison never forgets. (laughs) Man's a professional.
1: Uh, That's it for uh, today's show. Thank you very much for joining us. Uh, It's Fergal Brennan, Sam Lee, and Mark Critchley. Thank you very much, gentlemen. Cheers.
0: Thank you. It's it's
1: been a pleasure having you here. Uh, This has been the Football Social Daily. I've been at McGinley. If you've enjoyed the show, please click subscribe, and you'll get the next show as soon as it's ready, which will be tomorrow. Premier League Daily from Sports Social.